churches. And so we've looked at three of the churches so far, and today we're going to look at a church called Thyatira. Thyatira. So we looked at uh, Ephesus, Pergamum, and uh, Smyrna, and today we're going to look at the church of Thyatira. I always used to call it Thyatira, but uh, there's no R there. And so Jesus speaks to John, and as he writes to this church, you'll see on a map here that um, there's almost like a root of cities that uh, in sequence that Jesus spoke to very intentionally. And um, as, we, as we look at Thyatira, Thyatira was about 25 miles from the previous church that we spoke about, Pergamum, about 25 miles, and it was a military city. Um, and, and at any given time, you'd find thousands of tents with thousands of Roman soldiers there. And the reason for this, it's actually the smallest city uh, numerically. About twenty-five to 30,000 people lived, uh, believe, were believed to live in this city. Um, and it's the longest letter that Jesus spoke of the seven. So we got a lot to cover um, but there, was, there were thousands of Roman soldiers there. And the reason that it was a military city, a military outpost, was because Pergamum, the city that we covered last week, was uh, a very rich and politically powerful city. It was beautiful in grandeur, beautiful in, in um, its layout, and its, its, it was a very much needed to be a protected city. So um, invaders would come from the east, and this city that we're going to talk about today, Thyatira, was located very strategically to fight off the invaders that came from the east. Therein lies the reason why that uh, it was a military outpost. Um, this, this church falls into some of the similar uh, issues that we find in, in any of the churches that... Um, that, that uh, they, in that day, they, they had issues related to idolatry and uh, pagan worship. It's just, it was another, another thing that they faced. And so I want to talk to you about this. In this city, with the thousands of soldiers, there needed to be services that were provided for them. And so they had these, these, um, these things called, they were like union, like a union is today. How many has ever worked in a union? You know, teachers, electrical, this, that, the other. Um, what, they had, what they were called was trade guilds. They had these trade guilds that were, they provided services, uh, just basic services for the, the military members that were there. So I, I looked up what, what were some of the trade guilds that, that existed in that day. Um, there were leather workers. There were wool workers. All of these were like unions or guilds. Um, there were weavers, bakers, tailors, candle makers, uh, cobblers, potters, bronze smiths, blacksmiths, stone cutters, and more. There's a couple I took off just for uh, lack of space and saving you for time. But um, here's the deal. Wherever guilds were found, sexual immorality and idolatry uh, tended to be present, which were the two big oppositions or big problems that the early church faced. So we're going to look at this, this city, Thyatira. And I want to start off 
um, in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18. It says here, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write. This is Jesus speaking, John dictating. Now, I started off the series many weeks ago talking about that word angel. It's, it's actually uh, uh, translated as messenger or angelos, okay? It's a messenger. Many people believe that it was written literally to the pastor or the spiritual leader of the church. Because how God works is he doesn't circumvent authority. So God speaks to the pastor. The pastor processes and disseminates to the body, right? And so um, I believe this could be very possible that he was writing not to a, a, a literal spiritual being angel, but a, a literal person that was in charge of overseeing um, the church in that region. So he says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. The eyes carry the idea that I could see everything. This is what Jesus is saying. I can see everything. I know everything that's going on. And feet that are like burnished bronze carry the idea of um, judgment. This is a tough letter. I'm going to tell you right up front. This is, if I had the choice to skip over it and go to another church, I would have. But that wouldn't be honoring the word of God. You understand? Jesus spoke it. It's, it's, there's applicability today. It's relevant to us in this room. But it's challenging. It's challenging. So, so these, he has eyes that are blazing like fire. This is, the, this is the Jesus, the exalted Christ that John saw. And when he saw him, he said, I fell, I fell on my face as though I were dead. I mean, he was just in, so overwhelmed with the glory and the amazement of this glorified Jesus. And so um, he, he saw him with eyes like blazing fire, feet were like bur- burnished bronze. Verse 19 says... I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. I mean, if we were to describe a church that would be a church that you got to go to, on the surface, this would be that church. We looked at Ephesus. They had great works or deeds, but they lost their love. Well, here, this Thyatira church says, This is what Jesus said. He said, I know your deeds and your love and your faith. These are people that are are clinging to the Lord. They're going after the things of God. They're believing for great things in God. They love each other. They love the, the people that have yet to come into the body of Christ. And he says, your service and your perseverance. Um, Smyrna, even though it didn't have any of the problems identified by Jesus, was identified as one with perseverance. They were persevering. They were pushing through the opposition that they were facing. So this church has all the goods. They're doing amazing things. This is like a model church to this point. The service, the service you're doing, the works that you're doing or deeds we see in this passage. And then he goes on to say, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. It tells me they're growing in their faith and their love. They're growing in their compassion for the lost. They're growing. It's a, it's a church that's moving, you know, and there's, it's happening. It's a happening church. This is amazing, right? Um, and, and so Jesus gives this glowing praise to them, which he's, he always starts with a praise, and if there's a problem, he moves to a problem. 
And I want, to just, I want to just land here for a second because he says, I know your deeds or the things that you do. And I know your service. Can I tell you, you know, I was thinking about this this morning that every morning I get here, every Sunday morning I get here, I see the worship team here and these people are here at 8 o'clock. They come on Thursdays when, you know, when there's practices. And I mean, they're serving. There's, there's an amazing effort put forth for us to enter into worship. Do you understand that? Like, there's a lot of effort. These are volunteers, in large part, people that are giving of their time. They're getting up early um, to, to lead us into worship. But not only that, there's children's workers down the hall. There's, there's greeters. There's people in the sound booth and the projection booth. And I mean, a church is largely run by volunteers. Do you know that? And, you know, it's my philosophy that every person in any church should just be serving. They're, is just find a place to serve. Because the old Pareto principle says 20% of the people do 80% of the work. It shouldn't be that way. And the impression I get from this church is that they got it, you know? They're, they're, they got it. They understand. Listen, I've got something to give and I'm going to give it. And maybe, you're, maybe you can only, like you only have the opportunity to serve on Sundays. Well, there's opportunities to do that. There's, there's room. I'm always hearing Melissa, who is our children ministry director. She's I need more teachers. I need more, I need more teachers. John, I talked to John Goki. There's three people that drive the van. There's three. And so literally two of them are driving or involved every single week. Uh, you know, people are getting burnout dr- driving the van. If you could drive the van, sh- connect with John. John, stand up for a second. I just wanted to call you out. John. <laughs> but, I mean, there's people in our city that don't have transportation and they want to come to church. Well, we want to get them to church, you know. Um, we bought a new van this past year. Uh, for the last several weeks, maybe a couple months, uh, it's, it's overloaded. We, we, there's more people that want rides than we have room in that van. So we've been asking people with minivans and cars, can you pick up some people for us? But the drivers are getting, they're, they're just, they're driving a lot and they need, they need some help. So if, you're, if that just touches your heart, let John know that because we need some people to help out there. But I would just say this. In a church that we look at like Thyatira, and believe me, as I look at these churches, I ask Jesus, what would you be saying to Faith Chapel? And this, this is why we may have week eight because I'm gonna, I may ask the Lord, Lord, what would you write to Faith Chapel and share a message from that? But in the area of service, we see a second now, a second time, Jesus calling out, I know your deeds and I know your service. This is a second church that he's... So Jesus sees that. You understand? Jesus knows. It wasn't just he knew then, but he also knows today. You know, that his church is going to thrive by, by people saying, I- I'll serve. I- I'm available. I'll give. I'll make myself available. What do you need? What is it that needs to be done here? That is how churches thrive in communities. And that is how this church... Thyatira was was surviving. But he goes on to talk about um, more things beyond uh, the amazing successes that it sees. In verse 20, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, this is a, uh, 
a very much loaded verse. There's a lot here. I want to say, first of all, that he was not, the woman's literal name was not Jezebel. It's, it wasn't believed to be Jezebel. Who would ever name their kid Jezebel? Nobody. Because Jezebel was this, this character in the Old Testament. She was this character in the Old Testament um, who was a foreigner to Israel. Her, her father was named Ethbaal. And the word Baal in there should say something to us, that Baal was a foreign god. And so she was raised to worship foreign gods. And she ended up marrying this king of Israel named Ahab. And Ahab, um, the end of his story, he's documented as one of the most wicked kings Israel had ever had. In fact, more wicked than any king that had ever preceded him. And much of that wickedness was ascribed to his wife Jezebel. And Jezebel brought in this worship of Baal, a foreign god, into the Israelite community. She had the the priests of God killed. And she began to put on the payroll prophets of Baal. And if you've ever heard the story of Elijah on the Mount Carmel, this is the epic battle where where, um, Elijah... He, he's, he's saying, if your God is God to these, these prophets of Baal, let him come down and consume this sacrifice. But if my God is God, he will consume the sacrifice. And we know the God that we worship came and consumed the sacrifice. But it was during that time that Elijah said more than once, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. Everyone, all the other priests of God, all the other people of God have been killed. And God said, wait, I've... I've reserved 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. It was in this season of time that that Jezebel rose to prominence along with her her husband Ahab. And Baal, if you're going to worship him, there's sexual promiscuity involved in that. There's um, the temples had prostitutes. They brought in young boys and girls. And adults, and part of your worship was sex with these people that were brought into the temple. Child sacrifice was involved in, involved in Baal worship. And so there was this major problem, this clash of kingdoms happening in that day. You know, because God, the people of Israel were God's people. Yet they, were, they, they had this, this intermingling of worship, of idolatry and And foreign gods brought in because of Jezebel. Well, God hated that. God hated the fact that these people were exposed to this kind of worship of a foreign god. And because of that, now God is saying, there's a woman in your church that you're tolerating. And she calls herself a prophetess. I want to say to you something. You know, let other people identify the gift in you. Don't walk around putting a title in front of your name. You know, if someone says, well, you need to listen to me because I'm a prophet, or you need to listen to me because I'm an apostle, listen, let God, let God uh, call out the gift on people. But she was using this, this prophetess title to get the attention of people and using it to manipulate people. Now, I want to say something very, very clearly here today, that God did not have a problem with her because she was a woman. I'll read that verse again just to make clear 
what he's saying. He's saying, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants. He did not have a problem that she was a, te- she was a woman in teaching. You know, if you ever hear the doctrine that uh, a woman cannot teach, there's a misunderstanding of that doctrine. There's a misunderstanding. Jesus didn't say, why would you ever let a woman teach? He didn't say that. He said, by her teaching. He had a problem with what she was teaching. He had a problem with the fact that by her teaching, she was seducing people. She was using it to manipulate. By her title and by, you know, a a lot of times people with personality um, and they have a draw to them can, can use that to manipulate people, especially younger Christians to believe something that is not aligned with the Word of God. And this is what was happening. And this is why Jesus is calling this issue out like, I've got a problem here. I've got a problem with what this woman's doing. And the the bigger problem is you've tolerated this woman in there. Like, why don't you just kick her out? Don't Don't let her manipulate your people. Don't let her. And so it does fall on the pastor to some degree or the leaders of the church that this woman was there. One scholar that I was reading uh, or listening to this week said that this was the pastor's wife. And so, because this, this lady Jezebel, called Jezebel by Jesus, did have some, it's seemingly, some, some position or voice among the people. You know? She, she, she did have... Some, some ability to sway the opinion or the beliefs of the people. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, and the Bible doesn't, is not clear there. So where the Bible's not clear, we're not clear, all right? It's, I'm just telling you what some, other, what some scholars believe to be the issue here. So um, this woman, Jezebel, she was, was teaching the people. Now, what was she teaching the people? Well, back to the trade guilds, or what we would now, nowadays call unions. The trade guilds, each trade had a god or goddess associated with it. So each, each, uh, each of them, when they had meetings, regular meetings, would, would convene the people that were in that trade. And in that trade, they would first pray to the god or goddess... Would you make us successful, prosperous? prosperous? Would, would our businesses succeed and excel, make money? Uh, you know, would, you, would you help us? And they would pray to the specific God that was associated with that trade guild. But not only that, they would have a dinner. And at that dinner, they would eat food that was sacrificed to idols. And not only that, but they would also uh, drink a lot of alcohol. There was drunkenness involved. And beyond that, then there was um, sex. Men and women that were married would have sex with other, with people that were not their spouses. There would be boys and girls brought in and prostitutes brought in. And it, there, was a, there was a lot of sex associated with this because this was all part of um, worshiping a God that could give you prosperity and bless you. You understand? And so... In this, Jesus is saying, but I've got a problem because you're tolerating someone who's promoting this. 
You're tolerating someone who's, who's turning my people away. And as you could imagine, as Christians, if you were a part of that guild, you'd have problems. Um, I, I, I know what they're doing. This is against what I believe. Um, I, I can't do that. And then what would happen is you'd be kicked out of the guild and you wouldn't have a job. And eventually, without a job and without income, there's trouble. You can't just, back in that day, you couldn't just move to another city. There wasn't that option. You were, you were assigned to cities. And there was, there was some level of control of where you lived. So either you stand for Christ or you succumb to the pressures of uh, worshiping another god or goddess and doing what everyone else was doing in order to have a job and make money and provide for your family. It was it's definitely a world that we're not used to, but it was, it was tough for Christians in that day. It was very challenging for Christians in that day to, to survive in that. So um, a commentator called these guilds uh, a cross between uh, a labor union and a frat house. Just to give you the picture of what it was like. A labor union and a frat house. There was, it was just craziness, mayhem going on in, in these guilds at these meetings. And so this prophetess Jezebel comes along, the so-called prophetess or self-proclaimed prophetess comes along and says, don't lose your job. You, you, you know what? God wants you to work. God wants you to have money. Don't lose your job. Just, you know, it's okay, it's okay to do what they do. You know, God, God understands. So she tells them this new teaching that they, that they don't have to succumb. They don't have to, they don't have to lay down their morals or their principles to keep their job. And she's coming with authority, like God told me. God told, it, it's okay, just, just do your thing. Just, just do it. And so what would happen is, that people began to believe through this woman's teaching, you could have it all. You could have Jesus. You could have salvation. You could have heaven. You could, you could worship um, these gods or goddesses. You know, no problem. Idol worship, friendship with the world, and, and guilt-free sex. This is what this woman was teaching. This is what this woman was telling these people. This is a problem. And in these meetings... Uh, you know, there, there would be, it would not be uncommon, man with woman that weren't, wasn't his wife, woman with woman, um, man with man, woman with boy, so on and so forth. Whatever your personal preference is, this is the teaching that was being conveyed to these people because this was the norm in these meetings. This was, this was the norm um, in these meetings. Now, Jesus has something else to say that refutes this woman Jezebel's teaching. In Matthew 19, this is what he says. Verse 4, it says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus, in his teaching, 
goes all the way back to Genesis, Genesis and says, this is God's plan for sex. This is God's plan for sex. And anything outside of that, it doesn't matter who's teaching it. It doesn't matter whose idea it is. It doesn't matter how progressive you are. It doesn't matter what culture is saying. Anything outside of that is not acceptable to Jesus. Right? This, this, is, this is the issue that he's bringing up. You know, because our culture is saying something different today. Our culture, you know, what was weird back then in worship of God and goddesses isn't necessarily the same for us today. But our culture still is living opposite the word of God. You know, because in our culture, uh, you can be a Christian and hook up with college friends. You know, and, and it's okay. You, you can be a Christian and have an affair. It's okay. Our culture is like, you know, it just, it just happened. Uh, you, can, you can be a Christian in our culture and have an open marriage. And this, become, this stuff is becoming more and more normal. It's becoming more and more out front and just in your face. You can be a Christian couple, live together, not be married, and enjoy the benefits of marriage. This is, this is the culture we live in. Watch anything, watch anything, and it's, 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 uh, it's conveying these types of ideas. You could be a Christian and a practicing homosexual. And I, I don't bring that up because, listen, just to be clear, I don't hate homosexuals. I've had many homosexuals in my home. I love them. I love them. But that doesn't mean that I condone what, what they're doing. You understand? You could be a Christian and have a porn issue. You see, sex, the sexual expression in our culture is rising to new levels. Think about it. Ten years ago, what was it like? It was radically different. Twenty years ago, thirty years ago. And, and so what we're seeing Jesus speak to this church has major relevance to us today. Major relevance to us today. And so apparently... Jezebel and her followers were more tolerant than Jesus was. Isn't, isn't that word tolerance a big word today in our culture? I mean, you're intolerant. So if you, if you don't um, ascribe, promote, or, or stand with anyone because, or, um, because of their sexual orientation, their lifestyle choice, um, if, if you don't embrace everyone openly unconditionally, then there's a name for you. You know what that name is? You're a bigot. I told you, this is not a message that, uh, you know, this is, this is a hard message from Jesus. And we've got to honor the hard message from Jesus. That's just the truth. God, Jesus speaks the truth. We're not, we're not allowed to change the truth. Okay? We're allowed, we, we have to allow the truth to change us. But this is how our world sees Christians. They, they see them as intolerant, out of touch, outdated. If you're living wholeheartedly for Jesus and, and you're, not, you're not ascribing to the lifestyle that is out there as a part of our culture, then there's a problem with you. And to be honest with you, this, 
this mindset has affected a lot of us. We begin to accept it because it seems normal all around us. You flip on the TV, you watch commercials, you look at the internet, you know, you watch your favorite movies or your favorite shows. This stuff has been normalized. And, and because of that, um, we've been infected or affected. I'll say it this way. What you tolerate will affect you somehow. You know? What you tolerate will have an impact on you. And Jesus is saying, this I have against you. And it really comes down to this, acceptance or approval. Acceptance or approval. And I want to describe the two because the two are radically different. Um, Because people think to be tolerant that you must approve of everything I do. You're intolerant if you don't like what I do. And I'll do what I want to do. And if you don't like it, then you're intolerant. You're a bigot. But that's not, that's not the way it's, it's laid out. Acceptance means that we show love and respect. We, we, we show love and respect to everyone, even those we disagree with. We can still love them. We, we show love, respect, why? Why do we do this? Because everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone is dearly loved by God. And, and God has a plan for their lives. That doesn't mean they're on that track. But listen, we still love them. That's our obligation. That's our duty. That's our responsibility. And so, so acceptance is, is represented in what Jesus did. Because Jesus accepted everybody. Think about it. The woman uh, who was cast at his feet, you know, he accepted her. He loved her. And he says, go and sin no more, right? The woman who was caught in adultery. But, but, but she, she knew his love. She knew his love. So, so acceptance we see modeled by Jesus where he welcomed people. He embraced them. He loved them. And so do we. I want this to be a church that embraces anyone, that loves anyone, that accepts anyone. You understand this? I don't care who walks in the door of this church. They deserve the love of God. They deserve to be welcomed. They deserve to be received. But but I want to differentiate acceptance and approval. Approval is different than acceptance. Even though Jesus warmly welcomes people, he loves them. He extends this grace to receive him, to receive forgiveness, be healed inside and out. He doesn't necessarily approve of everything we do. He doesn't approve of everything I do, or you, or the people that we're called to reach, right? He he accepts them. As, as the Savior of the world. He accepts them as someone who's made in the image of God, but he doesn't approve of sin, right? But that's part of the process. Acceptance, belonging, feeling loved, and then addressing sin. You understand that? So all are made in God's image. And so as followers of Jesus, we are called to do what Jesus did. We're, we're called to replicate this. 
I, I think sometimes we get it wrong. We, we want to fix people before Jesus does. You know? And our, our job is to not fix people. Our job is to accept people. You know? And as people are, are growing in God, they, they open the word of God. They sense the presence of God. They're encountering the spirit of God. The spirit of God is going to help them. You know, the Spirit of God is going to speak to them. We build relationships with them. We talk to them about the Word of God, right? We get, them, we get people involved in, in the growth track. The Word of God is plain. It's going to, it's going to speak directly to people. It's going to tell, tell them, this is where you were. You were once dead, but now you've been, been made alive in Christ. And, and the things, that the works of our flesh are like this, and, you know, fornication, adultery, blah, 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 go on and on. As we get into the Word of God, there's clarity that comes, Kevin. Come on. There's clarity that comes. <laughs> so, but I want, I want us to be accepting of people. Not approving. Not a, we don't approve sin. We don't, we don't say, oh, it's all, this is what Jezebel was doing. She was approving. It's okay. It's, it's okay that you do that. It matters more. The sin doesn't matter. It, it matters more that you have your job. Now, I could go down the road of jobs and what the job is asking of you or what is required for you to keep your job. The message that Jesus speaks to Thyatira is the same today for you. Sin is, sin, is, sin is not acceptable in order to keep your job, you know? We need to separate the two. So Jesus rebukes Thyatira because they had become tolerant, you know? Jesus, Jesus says, I, I have an issue with this. The tolerance, tolerance doesn't work. Jezebel sends this message, tells them, do whatever you need to do, it's okay. And Jesus counters and says, no. It's not okay. Doing whatever you want to do is not okay. It's not acceptable uh, according to the word of God. And here's the problem. They had become more tolerant than Jesus was. And he says, this I hold against you. We cannot be more tolerant than Jesus is. The culture may say you're intolerant. The culture may mock you. The culture may tell you that you're, you're, you're stuck in some age year, from years ago. But, but Jesus is saying this is the standard. Jesus is saying the standard hasn't changed. The culture may change around you. But the standard is the standard. And my people are going are gonna to live by the standard. They're going to honor me. They're not going to give into the pressures of the culture around them. Because ultimately, we don't change the word of God. The word of God changes us. Right? So, so Jesus goes on in verse 21. He says, I've given her time to repent of her immorality. But she was unwilling. This is crazy to me. So, this says to me that he perhaps had spoken directly to her. He had sent a prophet to speak to her. Um, the word of God was being teach, taught, and, and she heard it, and she was unwilling to repent. She refused to repent. 
She said, no, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this. This, this is what I believe. I'm going to continue to teach this. I'm going to continue to live this out. Now, look, this doesn't end well for her. But let me just tell you what the word repentance is. We, we talk about this because pretty much every letter we've covered uses the word repent in it. Except for Smyrna, two weeks ago. Every letter had said repent. Repentance means that we, we, we change our actions which ultimately, um, we, we change our thinking and our actions, which changes ultimately our behavior. So going one direction, repenting is change the direction. Don't come, don't come with these mopey little tears and cry at the altar and get up and go back into the same lifestyle. No, repent can include tears. Repent can be, include your time at the altar. But the reality is if you're truly repenting, you're changing your actions, your thinking and actions, actions change so that you no longer do what you were doing. That's repentance. So Jesus says to this church and even to this woman that he uh, labeled as Jezebel or a Jezebel, you need to change your ways. And she was unwilling. So here it goes on to say, so I will cast her. Uh, actually, before I, I read this, you could leave that up there. This reminds me of the God of the Old Testament. He's the same God, right? Jesus came and, 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 and took care of the judge. He bore our sins so that the judgment that he's about to pronounce, we don't have to face unless we choose not to repent. But I would not want to stand before a, a holy God in all his glory, who had a sword coming out of his mouth, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze, who, who, uh, who stands there in all his glory. I would not want to stand before him and have, to, have told him, no, I'm not going to repent. It's not going to be a good day. So this is what this Jezebel will face. I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways or of her ways. In essence, the people who fell into the trap, they have a chance to repent. She chose not to. I'll strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am one who searches hearts and minds. I'll repay each of you according to your deeds. Listen, I want us to know this. This, this, this message is speaking to us today. Perhaps our, our thinking related to tolerance, has changed over the years. But Jesus is trying to snap it back to reality. He's trying to show us that his word hasn't changed, that he still has a standard, and he wants us to think and believe and behave that way. Do you understand? He, he wants us to live according to his standard. He doesn't want the, the culture around us to change us. He doesn't want us to lower our perspective Below what the word of God says. We can't tolerate what Jesus will not tolerate. I, I understand it's hard. I understand it's challenging. But we're all going to stand before Jesus someday. You know? We're all going to stand before Jesus someday. And, and I want to know that you knew the truth. If you're a part of this church, I want to know that you knew the truth. That um, what, what Jesus calls sin is sin. And we need to avoid it. We need to repent of it. We need to turn away from it. 
and we need to live wholeheartedly for him. Some people think grace is this license to do whatever we want, and then at the end of the, end of the day to ask for forgiveness. It doesn't work that way. Our actions do speak volumes. And so I would just challenge us. Listen, in this room, culture and the mindset of culture can wear on us. But God is saying, listen, I want you to live for me. And I want you to understand my ways. I want you to know my ways. Accept everyone, but don't approve of people's sin. Don't fall into this trap that Jezebel drew people into. It's okay. God loves you anyway. It's, it's okay. God, will, God knows your heart. I can't tell you how many times. God knows my heart. I've heard that so many times. He knows your heart. Yes, he does. He knows everything about you. And he loves you. In fact, let me just say about this Jezebel. God was not quick to punish her. God gave her ample time to repent. Ample opportunity to repent. But what she was doing was destroying his church. She was drawing other people into her sin. She was drawing other people into her mindset and they were sinning and they were falling under, they were being positioned under the judgment of God. I I don't want to be positioned under the judgment of God. I want to be positioned under the grace of God. And and therein lies this whole idea that um, living wholeheartedly for God, having our hearts burning for Him, going after the things of God, not tiptoeing as close to the line as we can, but staying as far away from that line in love of our Father. He's an amazing God, and He loves us. And if we're caught, even, even today, if we're in this room, and we're in the middle of a sinful relationship, situation, mindset, there's time, there's, there's opportunity Today is a good day to repent. I I would just encourage you to do that. Turn away from that and say, no more. It doesn't have place in your life. Amen? So so this pronouncement of judgment is is declared. In verse 25, I just want to touch on those few words very quickly. Um, I think I, I have it in here. Somehow I don't have verse 25 in here. All right, well, forget that. The two words that I wanted to talk about were hold on. Hold on. He says, he says to his church, hold on. Hold on even when you're mocked for standing for what, uh, for what Jesus stands for. Hold on to your faith even when the world around you is changing so rapidly. Hold on, even when the pressures you face come against you. Hold on to your faith. This was a very good church, but let me tell you how quickly a good church can be eroded or affected by, bad, by a bad teaching. And this is what was happening to this church. I want this church here, Faith Chapel, to stay strong. And when we stand before Jesus, we could say, I held on and I repented from the from the ways that I lived. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? I want to close in prayer here today. Christianity starts with tolerance. It starts with tolerance. Everyone, everyone is accepted. The Bible tells us that 
Uh, it's God's desire that everyone comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But it moves quickly to a place where the sins of people are not approved. You understand that? It's, it's a wide open door, but it becomes narrow. There's a wide road, but it becomes narrow when we get on the road of living for Christ. If we're, if we're here to live for Him, we're going to live for Him wholeheartedly. Amen? I want to invite the uh, ministry team to come up. If you're here today, listen, I want you to know you're loved. This message was not a message of judgment for me. It was just, you need to hear the truth. It's, it's not okay. It's not okay to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. It doesn't, it doesn't get you closer to heaven. We need to surrender. We need to surrender to our ways. We need to let the Spirit of God convict us. We respond to that and live for God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, today, Lord, as we stand before you, we do recognize that one day we will literally stand before you. God, I want every person in this room to know how much they're loved by you, how much by your Spirit you're drawing them to you. God, how you're moving in their lives, God. How you have amazing plans, God. And Father, today, Lord, first of all, we choose to repent of the mindset, the mindset, God, that has pervaded the, the culture in which we live, Lord. Thinking that it, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay to have sin. It's okay to tolerate sin. It's okay to put up with it, God. You're calling us higher. You're calling your church to be holy. God, and we repent from thinking that, Father, that the standards that you once communicated, Father, no longer apply to us, God. No, they still, you're still communicating today. God, we want to be a holy church. We want to be a holy people set apart for you. So we say, have your way in our lives, God. We turn from our sins. We turn from our lifestyles. We turn from our way of thinking. And we pursue you, God. And so I bless your people today, God. I bless what you're doing in their lives in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, I would, I would encourage you to come up and talk to one of these amazing couples up here. God bless you guys.